When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. So we will kick on. Um, like I say, this the second half is going to be about takeovers and transfers and Mike Ash. The first half is going to concentrate on the departure of, kind of Rafa Benitez, the, the arrival of Steve Bruce and I think what we'll all would say is it's kind of a, a surprise uh, start the season, especially after the defeat to Leicester. Um, I'll start with you, Lee. First of all, when it came through that Rafa Benitez had gone, and I appreciate we're going back in time, but it's nice to get the context. What was your initial thought? Were you, were you surprised or had you, did you think it was coming? Um, for me, I wasn't surprised because I'd, I'd been told two or three weeks earlier that it wasn't right and what was being offered to him uh, wasn't enough um, and Newcastle did try to make him the highest paid manager in the history um, but he decided not to take it uh, because he wanted full control which I totally understand so was it a surprise for me not really um, big disappointment big big shock waves going around the city and then um, it just exposed the bad organization really that they didn't have anybody to step into the place straight away I mean, of course, then Steve Bruce came in and it was kind of a, well, yeah, it was a drawn-out saga. I'm going to turn to Mark. Um, was Steve Bruce Castle's first choice? We've got Wes Mills asking, um, you know, is it true or did any managers turn down Newcastle? And he names uh, Steven Gerrard and Michael Arteta as two. Well, I think Arteta, 100%, they, they, they looked at. They wanted him. I think Patrick Vieira was another name that they looked at as well. And before coming to Steve Bruce as a sort of safe pair of hands, if you will. Bear in mind we were getting right to the start of the, towards the start of the season. And I think they, they spent a long time looking at Arteta. I mean, Steve Bruce has even said that to us. Um, you know, that he, he, he believes that they were quite far on with Arteta before not quite being able to, to do that deal. And I think a lot of that came down to, um, you know, the, the, the jungle drums were beating a little bit. I think there were a lot of people going in his ear saying, are you sure this, this is your first job? You won't necessarily get what you want recruitment-wise. All the things that we look, look at, looked at Steve Bruce accepting, which is you weren't going to get to pick your players in the transfer market. There was, you know, two of the players were lined up. We know now Alan Maxman and John Linton have both said the club were trying to sign them months and months before they actually came. So I think that was one of the reasons why he was eventually put off. But, I think the, 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 the idea that he was kind of 12th, 15th choice isn't, isn't correct. Um, but they, they did have others in mind. I think they really fancied the idea of Arteta and they'd gone for Vieira before um, when McLaren was there. But, but Bruce, I think it basically got down to the stage where they thought we can't give this much longer. They were already in China, weren't they, when Bruce, when Bruce took the job. And they just saw him as safe pair of hands. He'll come in. Um, they, knew, they knew what he had and what, what they knew what he was and what he wasn't and they felt it was going to be a safe pair of hands, which obviously at the time we were all extremely worried about. I mean, he started okay, and maybe we can see some of the logic to that now, but at the time we were pretty worried about that. 
Mark mentions their queue and that Newcastle obviously were in China at the time. Do you think that played a part in them kind of saying, right, it is now where we, we need to appoint a manager because the season effectively kicks off in, what, two weeks' time? Yeah, I think they put a lot of value on Premier League experience and Bruce, uh, it's gone back a few years, but he had a lot of that. And I think it's important to note as well, Bruce has been on the club's radar a long time. Ashley does look at him as a Geordie, one of you, someone he feels can really be the flag bearer for the way he wants Newcastle to be right now. We know it actually changes his mind so often, but he has always liked Bruce. And I think when you look at it for any manager to go in with, you know, only a few weeks to start the season, only a few weeks to get through a transfer window. I think anyone would have struggled in that situation, but you're looking at what's happened since. I think the, the spirit in the group has shone through and the players are playing for him and like him. And that's, that's how it is at the moment. And I think he's proved a few people wrong. Uh, still a long way to go, but hopefully there's a platform for Newcastle now to, to push on because uh, it's, been, it's been encouraging what we've seen the past few weeks. Like Mark says, obviously, when you, the news boosts a point, everyone is a bit like, oh, but I know that we've all spoken to people, and Sean included there, people who've worked with them, and they've come back, and they've always said, you know, brilliant man manager, he's good motivation, good, you know, he's got his two men around him, and, and Steve Agnew and Steve Clements. And it's it, what we were told in the build-up of the Premier League season about what Steve Bruce would bring and his two coaches, you know, it's, it's, it's rang true to a certain extent. Definitely. I think, well, Steve Bruce has had his, his hairy moments this season. We all saw how Newcastle played against Leicester away and against Norwich away. And to a degree, Aston Villa away two, two weeks ago. Um, there have been some dark days, but there have been some highs as well this season. And I think you can see the reaction of the players on the pitch um, when they win games, the way Steve Bruce embraces them um, full-time. You can see that they're playing for Steve Bruce. You can see that they get on from really well. A lot of the players commented on that even in the early days when they were struggling. Um, and yes, I mean, we all spoke to people about Steve Bruce. I mean, the likes of Mark and Simon and Lee would have known Steve Bruce from the Sunderland days as well, from the patch. And, Everyone you speak to said he's a likable guy, and a lot of people who, you know, he got, he got, he got, he got, um, he didn't get the credit he deserved in terms of tactically wise. But I mean, I spoke to Seb Larson, who used to play for Sunderland, obviously, um, for a piece on Emil Kraft, like a background, a piece on what he would bring to Newcastle and what have you. Um, and he was really complimentary of Steve Bruce and said that he didn't deserve the, the abuse he was getting in terms of how he is tactically. He says, next in my manager, and he's, a lot, he's very hands on the training ground. And I think you can start to see that now. that at the start, he wanted to put in a, a system that didn't necessarily work with the three midfielders. He's reverted back to what Newcastle are comfortable with now, and I think they don't see a lot of the ball, but what they do is effective and they're very good in transition, particularly with Almiron and Sam Maximan supporting Joe Linton. And I think you're starting to see now that Steve Bruce has put his stamp on it and it's starting to bear fruit on the pitch. Now, I'm, I'm sure a few of you guys here would say, well, yes, Bruce is winning games, but is he not just reverting to... Benitez's style of kind of hitting teams on the counter, being kind of ultra-defensive. So Simon, is he? Uh, well, he's, he's managing what he's got. Um, I think he's wisely worked out that the system that Newcastle played last year under Rafa Benitez is the one that the players are most comfortable with, and he's reverted, reverted to that. Um, and I think it builds confidence. And if we look at the, at the, the good things that Bruce has brought, um, he's, a, he's a fantastic man-manager and we've learned that from his time at Sunderland where he really got into players' heads and it can work for a year and a half. Um, it might get a bit difficult after that, but I think you, you're seeing the benefits of his man-management skills now. Um, we always knew he had that. I think people underestimate him and think he's a, a, a dinosaur and he's been around, he's too old school. But he, he can, he's got Steve Agnew and Clements who are very 
technologically minded, a lot of analysis goes on, so they're not stupid in that front, and he's underestimated on that. There's, so there's been a lot of underestimation of Steve Bruce. Obviously, people are upset um, that Rafa had gone, um, and it did seem a big contrast to go from the man of total detail uh, and, you know, complete workaholic and lived his life for Newcastle in the three years that he was here uh, in Rafa Benitez to Steve Bruce, who was, you know, bit of a journeyman, everyone thought, and had done an okay job at various clubs, but but he has got something about him which gets into players' heads and gives players credit and gets players playing for him. And I think that's what, what, that's what we're seeing the, the benefit of now and the fruits of now. Just a show of hands then, has the season gone better to this stage than you all expected? I thought, I thought that might be the case. Uh, Simon's mentioned there the difference between Benitez and between Bruce. Lee, what's it like then in the press conferences? Because we all know Benitez effectively it could be kind of like two different people one week he'd be very talkative the next week it'd be very straight at the point what is bruce like uh steve bruce is very open i mean obviously with him being from the area he knows exactly what the local press is all about the chronicle um he probably actually gives you the time you need whereas like rafa would was at the training ground 24 7 basically that's no disrespect to Steve Bruce, so Rafa would be still standing talking to you an hour after a press conference, getting a football out and trying to demonstrate stuff with you a bit, a bit too late for, for my career sort of thing. But, but there you go. But I, I think he's, he's come in. He's, he knew straight away it was going to be a tough job. It was very difficult. I mean, the abuse that was coming his way when he first got the job was, you know, some of it was, wasn't great. Um, but he's managed to, you know, bounce back from all that. He's, he's got the team motivated, he's got them in a decent place in the league. It's whether they can keep it up now, but one thing I have noticed is that the players, they seem to like him, they warm to him. Um, he's got them motivated, he's got some of them playing towards new contracts, he's got John Joe Shelby playing, he's putting an arm around him. So a lot of positives, um, but you know, sometimes you just do wonder what might have been if, if Rafa had got everything that he asked for. You mentioned John Josh uh, Shelby there. He's a man who uh, splits opinion. Obviously, he's had a very good uh, few weeks. Mark, what, what is the difference? Is it Steve Bruce is more his kind of manager? Is it the captaincy? He's given him a bit of a kick up the backside. Is it Sean Longstaff's emergence and Matty's, uh, you know, coming out and they've given him a kick up the backside? Was it? Well, don't forget Sean Long. Uh, sorry, uh, John Josh Shelby was playing really well for Rafa in the Championship, and then. Just before the, the World Cup, of course, he was doing really well for, for Benitez as well. So it's not like, it's not like there's, there's, there's necessarily a difference in, uh, in where he's playing. I think he's playing in a very similar position. John Joe Shelby's the kind of player who does blow hot and cold. You know, that, that is, that's his nature. Um, I, I think what tended to happen with Rafa was he'd give him enough chances and he let him down, I think, a few times just in terms of his discipline sometimes and also in terms of tactically where he was as well and he, and he just couldn't get back from that. I think he's a confidence player, I think he's also a player who needs to feel as if he's proven a point and he's got two things going for him at the moment. One, he thinks everybody's written him off and I think he quite likes that. Two, he's also playing for a contract at the moment as well and whether that's explicitly in his mind or not, it is a motivation. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, it definitely helps him that the manager has faith in him uh, but I think he's just, he's just, he can be a very, very good player on his day and he's going through one of those really good streaks he's, 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 he's had. We've mentioned their new contracts a couple of times. Obviously, the likes of Matt Ritchie and, and Shelby are probably the two 
that are pay, playing uh, for, for the contracts. Obviously, unfortunately, Richie's been out for quite a while. But they're at that kind of age, especially Richie, where it doesn't really fit the blueprint, Kieran, that Newcastle have gone for previously. But Steve Bruce has made no secret that he would like to see them stay longer. Is he going to win that battle, do you think? It'd be really interesting. I suppose you look at the Andy Carroll signing. I think Bruce was, was pushing for that, was behind that. Um, he got his way there. I think, like previous managers, he will knock on the door and say, you know, X players over the age of 27, can I bring them in? And one of the markets Bruce is looking at this summer is Bosman transfers again. You know, he, he feels that there's value in there as well as bringing in these expensive imports that you can get a Premier League proven player um, for nothing, essentially. So it'd be really interesting to see. I think the benefit of the contracts thing is he can, in a way, put his stamp on the squad. Uh, you've got some like Key. Key's going to be a free agent this summer. Is he going to get kept on? Probably not. But even someone like Fernandez, uh, coming up 31 in February, he's been brilliant the past two months. That's a huge, huge decision to make. At the moment, you'd say you give him a new deal, you give him two years, but are the club going to say, hang on, he's over the age of 30, he can have a year like Diame or nothing? So, big calls to be made. But I mean, that experience there, you mentioned Fernandez is so crucial, especially when you're down the bottom of the league and uh, you need to be fighting for, you know, for your life, essentially. Um, and Sean there, Kieran mentioned Fernandez. You've got Kieran Clark who's come in. Dummett's come back into the squad. I mean, I don't know what about you guys think about the defence, but you, I think there's an argument put forward that you could see you're arguably um, missing... You, I mean, you're missing Lejeune and you're missing Cher, arguably the two best centre-backs there at the club, and yet we're sitting there and, you know, we're not too fussed because the defence have been excellent. I think it's one thing you can say with Rafa Benitez left in the summer, he left the, left the club with arguably the best depth and centre-half they've had in a number of years. There's six centre-halves there, if you put any three of them in the system, I think you're comfortable with them playing. Um, I think they've all proven that this season, not one of them have let Newcastle down this season or indeed the last couple of seasons. Um, yeah, in terms of Fernandez, I think he's been brilliant recently. I think if you offer him a one-year deal, will he take that? He may want a bit more longevity, but... It's something that Newcastle must have, must look at, I think, because every time he's played, particularly in recent weeks, he's never let Newcastle down. He comes out with a goal, puts his head in there where it hurts, um, win, wins wins everything that comes his way. He's so dependable, just like the other, other lads are. And the fact that Florian Lejeune and Fabian Scher, up until coming on against Southampton at half-time, haven't been able to get a look in is testament to the guys who have been in there this season doing a great job. So when fit, when all them defenders are fit, who are your trio at the back? I think across, in terms of those six guys have been there for, in terms of Fernandez, probably come and share, who come in later, they've been in 18 months. Across those 18 months, I think you would say that Cher, the cells, and the Jeune are probably the best three. Would we agree but with that? In terms of the Jeune, I think the Jeune's probably Newcastle United's best defender. It's just a case of keeping him fit for, for a long period of time. Um, I feel on the ball, he's fantastic. He brings a composure that maybe some of the other guys don't necessarily have at times. Um, and he's been a great sign, and it's just a case of keeping him fit. And Fabian Scher is, is arguably Newcastle's best footballer, but he's a defender. Um, he could even do a job in midfield, I suppose, as well, if you want to test that out. But yeah, as, as, as I've mentioned before, there, I think the six guys who are there at the minute are arguably the best depth Newcastle have had in centre half. And even the teams gone by, like Boy Robson's teams, you would have killed to have depth like that at the time. Um, at the back, so yeah, you, you can have no complaints on Newcastle defensively. I know Mark wrote an article a few weeks back asking the question whether this is Newcastle's best ever choice at centre-back. Show of hands, do we think it is? Or all the years that you've watched it? Does anyone not 
Agree with that? No? There we go. We'll get on to these, the summer arrivals then, obviously. Uh, General Williams came in, Simon. We'll start with him. Um, a player who seems to have been around forever. Newcastle seemed to be linked to him forever. He's like the, the bastos of left backs for Newcastle. Um, but a, a dodgy start. And then he's, he's, you know, he's, he's come, come good. Yeah, he's got a couple of goals, a um, couple of very good goals as well. Um, we've talked to him once at the, at the uh, charity do for the foundation, and he's the <laughs> coolest dude in town. He's, the, the way he dresses and carries himself, he's got something about him. And he seems to, he seems to like the city and to be, be out and about around the place. So he's, it's a good, I mean, they need to get him signed up to, you know. He's going to rival Matt Ritchie, isn't he? And that's the, the big choice when Ritchie gets fit again. Do you bring the spirit and tenacity of Ritchie back, or do you let Will Ems, who might be, a, might be a bit of a better athlete, I don't know. Um, I'll have to say that's a difficult choice to make, but he's been a good signing. Can it happen in January? Is there a deal there to make it happen in January? I've read that today somewhere on a rival site. Can it happen in January? Yeah, don't bother reading rival sites. <laughs> <laughs> it, could, it could happen. It could happen. Would we, would we want it to happen in January? Are you impressed enough with Jetro Williams? You say, let's, let's give him a deal here. There's a few nods. Keep there. Fantastic. Right. Joe Linton then, obviously the man who just doesn't seem to be able to find the net. Arguably his worst performance um, was on South, against Southampton. I don't know if that's, that's my opinion. He looked short of confidence. Um, I mean, there's a question here um, from... Oh, just had it there. Was the, uh, was the Joe Linton deal as straightforward as the club is making out? It's come from Stu. Um, was the I mean was the deal as straightforward as making out? Well, it was, it was sort of thrashed out in in sort of January, sort of February, to to go through for him coming in on July the first. But Rafa Benitez didn't want, didn't believe he was worth forty million. Is that the Funnily important enough, bit? <laughs> Is that the important bit? He didn't think he was worth forty million, but he necessarily didn't think he wasn't good enough. It was he thought he, he was capable of doing it. He thought he was worth twenty million, and Mike Ashley said, "Well, I'll give you the other twenty million." And that won't come out of your pot to buy other players. Um, nice and straightforward, really, you know. But it, look, for me, I think technically he's obviously got some, you know, good skills. He's winning a lot of balls in the air. But when you've got that number nine shirt on your back, you've got to be winning with the goals. And we've, we've seen him score against Spurs, um, but he hasn't really come close in other games. He's starting to look a bit drained now up there and I'm feeling a bit sorry for him. I think the crowd are as well and um, I just hope that Newcastle manage him well now through these next few few weeks. And I, I think the other players are rallying around him um, but personally I think going in the second half of the year, if you get the service right, he starts settling down. I think he will get a few goals. Is he prolific? I'm not seeing that at the minute like everybody else. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. Bob Mills, Kieran asks, and I know you've spoken to people close to John Litton. Um, can anyone tell our guests here how you could watch John Litton and value that £40 million? Well, this is the thing... Uh the club were so keen on this deal going back um, back to the winter before the summer as Lee said they were watching him extensively Steve Nixon was out there head of recruitment 
they really had faith that he had the character and profile as much as the potential to be a Newcastle number nine. And this is the thing, they looked into his backstory, what made him tick, the struggles he's overcome in the past. You know, he had homesickness when he moved from Brazil to Germany initially, two really crucial years in Austria, and then he had one more year in Germany, and then he was off to the Premier League. So it's been a, it's like being in a washing machine, I'd imagine, that you're just parachuted in like this and, right, you've got to deliver. And I think maybe we thought after the Spurs game, that would be the the Philip firm and that would push him on and give him the confidence and to be fair in pre-season the first game against Arsenal I thought he had a bit of a swagger about him but as the weeks have gone on he's retreated a little bit and I think the club are doing all they can to encourage him um, you know they've been trying to get him into the box more they've been looking into how his family could come over from Brazil but it's going to take time I think and that's the trouble when you cost 40 million and you're a number nine you don't get much of it. See Bruce said after the Southampton game that he wants Joe Linton to learn a bit more from Andy Carroll, which I suppose is good in terms of character and attitude. But other than both being tall guys, they're very different kind of players. Well, yeah, the, 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 the problem with Joe Linton really is that he, he's never played as a number nine, really. I mean, he wasn't a number nine at, at Hoffenheim, was he? So they're, they're asking him to play in a way I think that's probably not, he's probably not used to. Um, I, I think the worry for me with him is that um, I can't think of too many chances that he's missed. So maybe one against Norwich was there where he, the header, uh, but that was very early on in the season. I can't think of too many chances. He doesn't get into the box enough for me. He doesn't, um, he doesn't look as if, you know, he doesn't take too many shots. There were times on, on Sunday where it was, you know, it looked as if he was, I, I don't know, he, he, he almost didn't want, he was hesitant. And, and, and that's a real worry for me with him. I, I think there's, there's a player there. I know. I know. You know. People. People say, "Well, where?" You know, because I, I don't see it too much. But I do think he's got good technique. I think he, he he's got a good sort of sense of. He's, he's quite good with the build-up play. Links play quite well between midfield and, and the forward line. But he's a number nine. He's got to be in there. I think what they could really do with is bringing in somebody who's a ready-made sort of maybe sort of championship level striker. So I think Neil Mope, who's gone to Brighton, they were looking at. At one point, Rafa's team were looking at him. And that would have been the kind of player you'd have thought, come in, score five to ten goals, at, at, you know, for, for less money than they brought in for Jolinton. Because the, the problem with Jolinton is it's not so much that, you know, he's not necessarily a good player. It's the valuation and it's where he plays. To me, he doesn't look like a number nine. I don't think he'll ever be a number nine. Um, and that, that's my worry with him. I mean, we sit in front of uh, John Gibson at the match and, and Supermark, and you can... Supermark makes some strange noises when he's watching Jalen I think he's actually in pain sometimes watching him because he just can't believe that, A, he's not breaking the run into the box. What game were we at? And we turned to each other and said, why hasn't he made the run? Was it? The City game. The City game. There was a ball put in by Almiron. And you just knew Supermark would be on the end of that. Shearer would be... You, you tell a quote, don't you, that Shearer says, if, I'd, if I'm not you know, breaking my neck to get in there, I've had a bad game. I'm going to ask Sean a very difficult question here. Have you seen any positives from Joe Linton where you're thinking, do you know what, he can make the difference? And do you think that maybe with St. Maxman out for a month, six weeks, he could play on that left? He could play on the left against Burnley on Saturday? I think there have been some positives with Joe Linton. Um, he's good in the air, as, as the guys mentioned there, he's strong. Um, I think he's a good buffer for Almiron and St. Maxman, particularly in the transition play when, you, when, you, when you're getting away from, from the back. Um, my issue with Joe Linton is I think he drops too deep to times and as Mark mentioned there, there's not too many games where you think he's had a guilt-edged chance to score there. He just doesn't seem like he's going to be in that position. I also think he's benefited a lot from 
the lack of options Newcastle have had up front. It's quite plain that Steve Bruce really waits to Gale, wanted to sign him, but he just doesn't fit into the system that they're playing at the moment. He possibly would have done if they could persisted with the two strikers at the start with at the start of the season. Um, but now Andy Carroll's fit. I think it's I think it's be fair to say that Andy Carroll likely to start on Saturday, probably start again the week after. Um, but I think even in the Sheffield United game, he set up the goal for Shelby, but the first half Carroll looked, I think, looked a bit off the pace. It was a bit of a surprise that he started that game. It's taken him a while to get close to full fitness, but he showed on Sunday against Southampton when he came on, he made such a huge difference, set up the goal, bullied defenders. And I think every time he comes on, he gives the crowd a lift that Joe Linton not, doesn't necessarily give the crowd. Um, so going forward, I think you know Andy Carroll's going to be the answer for now. Take Julian out the firing line, but I certainly think there's a player there. We forget how young he is as well. He's younger than, than he's younger than I am. I'm the baby of the desk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's young, he's still a young still a young lad. It's a, it's a heavy price tag. He's still adapting to the country, as Kieran said. He's adapting to the league. It is tough, but you know the bare fact is Newcastle paid 40 million for him. He is the leading number nine. He should be scoring more goals. He should be getting in the better positions. But I think that may come. But we've got a team on the firing line for now. The overriding thing is, though, you can't write him off after 15 games because he, he's playing in a team which is finishing matches and winning matches with 27% possession. He's not playing in a team which looks great and has 70% possession and that are top six in the league. They must be incredibly tough for a number nine to be running up around those massive acres of space up front trying to win the ball. It's such a tough, it's the toughest job on the team. And he, um, and he, you know. and he doesn't benefit from the fact that last season you had a striker who was perfectly suited for the role that he's in at the moment. And of course, Newcastle didn't go for Solomon Rondon because of the expense of it. But looking at it, looking at it now, you do wonder whether they should have just bitten the bullet, done that deal for two years because he was perfect for that job. Because Rondon would do all the unselfish stuff, but then he'd also weigh in with the goals as well. And um, I know Newcastle looked at it and said, well, He's playing for a contract. That was what they, they, you know, the hierarchy thought that if we sign him and sign him for three years, will he revert back to what he was like at West Brom? Well, it would have solved a short-term issue. And I know that they felt it was a very expensive deal that wouldn't have made any financial sense. But you do wonder what financial sense signing somebody for 40 million who can't play in that role is, is going to be. But like Simon said, you can't write him off. But um, you, you can be concerned. We're going to move on to our final question of this half, um, and it is the half-season ticket offer. Show of hands, has anyone actually taken up the offer of the half-season ticket? Has anyone just decided out of principle not to? Hands up, anybody? Well, we're going to ask Lee, because Lee, you went up to see Lee Charnley um, yesterday, and he, and he spoke to, to Charlie and he, he you know, gave his reasons. Um, what did you make of what he said? Well, uh, I mean, it's a strange one really because the crowds, he, even though a lot of people said they were going to walk away, you've still got 42, 43,000 going up there, which compare that to any other club, that's still fantastic really. Um, it's such a strange one because what... What do you say to someone who's got a little kid or son or daughter and they say, I want to go up to the match? Do you say no for the boycott sort of thing? When I first started watching Newcastle, they were in complete disarray at the bottom of the second division. You, you're not re when you're a young kid, you're not really looking up at the boardroom. Um, it's such a difficult one and Mike Ashley's so disengaged with the whole thing. So then you've got Lee Charnley who's sort of holding the fort. 
he's got to come out and say things publicly. Difficult. Um, Newcastle have admitted they don't communicate enough. Um, so I expected a lot of his answers um, that he said really. He didn't say anything too out of the ordinary. I believe most of the season ticket, the half season tickets are gone now. So it's going to be interesting to see what that crowd is in the next home game. Can you just give us a bit of insight into what he's like? What is he like as a person? What is he like to deal with? Um, well, I mean, he's had an absolute battering, hasn't he, on Twitter. So he's obviously a little bit cautious about what he says. Um, but for me, if he did more events, maybe something like this and spoke. And I think people only heard his voice on the radio for the first time in the last couple of nights, haven't they? So he's sort of hidden away in the last five years. Uh, whether he's been afraid of, of the criticism, um, I'm not sure. But to be to be honest, Mike Ashley hasn't led by example. He's hardly spoken either. We've, I've tried many times. Simon's tried many times. Mark's tried many times to get Mike Ashley to speak. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't want a relationship. So, it's it's a very difficult club to deal with. I think. Um, I mean, I, I think it proves that the protesters. It's a win for the protesters, and it's also a win. For people who want to take an added kid or a friend on the cheap or for free. Um, so the protests have worked. Um, the atmosphere has been muted at St James's Park this year and that is because there's a hardcore of sadly and many people would say rightly had enough for the club. If I, if I, was, a, if I was a punter now and I was paying 700 quid for a season ticket I'm not sure I, I would be going. I, I think I probably would have walked away at the at the end of last year or even, or even sooner. So I can understand why the protesters have done it, but I, uh, have, have walked away. The gaps in the stadium look horrible. It's not the brand that Newcastle want. It's not the image that Newcastle, the Premier League, want to see of St James's Park, which is meant to be, you know, packed out at the rafters, you know, Freddie Shepherd days, uh, waiting lists for season tickets. Um, but I, I find it hard to criticise the club's move as well, because you know, if you, if, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends who've, who can afford one ticket and they, and they take their son or their daughter and they alternate the son and the daughter. If they can then get another one to take a friend along and it's free and it fills the gaps, for me that's, that's an okay gesture for the club to do as a short-term measure to fill St James's Park. Steve Bruce has spoken several times about him wanting the, the, the empty seats filled. Um, and I put this on Twitter the other day saying I, I find it hard to criticise it and it is absolutely split down the middle. There's, there's, you know, there's 50 people, 60 people liking it. There's 60 people giving comments saying it's an absolute disgrace. It's, it's you know, um, you shouldn't give, shouldn't give tickets away. But it's, it is a win for the protesters as well. It shows that what they've done has been effective. It's been noted by the club uh, and, it's, and it's, it's caused them to give tickets away. Kieran, what's your, your view on the, on the initiative? Yeah, I mean, on, on face value, when you've heard Steve Bruce's words about people not being able to afford to come along at Christmas, to go every week, every second week, there's a sincerity and warmth to it. But obviously, for me, you have to split it in two. Um, I think that's one issue. Another issue is why people are boycotting, and that's because of the owner. Everyone knows that. And until that changes, I think there are a silent few who aren't the most vocal on social media who've just fallen away from the club, fallen out of love with the club. And for me, that's heartbreaking. You know. And, opening day they felt they couldn't go along and support the team who they've loved for so many years and it, it's, it's, it's a way they uh, we've been used to Newcastle particularly last summer burying their head in their sand at least they have tried to do something but I think those who've fallen away have fallen away for a reason. Sean he mentioned the other club trying to do something I think actually doing it is a good idea but you know Steve Bruce said after the game it was about people not being able to afford tickets now just playing 
devil's advocate, a lot of people would say, well, actually, that's not that's not why. So do you think the club maybe would have got a better response in terms of from the people that have already decided not to go if they'd held hands up and said, yes, okay, maybe it is partly because people can't afford to go, but we also understand that the mistakes we've made down the line are affecting the attendances on the coming day. Definitely. I mean, as, as, as everyone on the panel have said here, the fact that this initiative is going to make it more affordable for people to go who couldn't who couldn't go before is a good thing, but it's a reactionary thing to as Simon said there the pro the protesters and the empty seats and it's not what Newcastle United want to be shown around the world and their global brand. To me, it, it, you always got to treat these things with a bit of cynicism. Every time something like this happens, you feel like you know, my Ashley wants the stadium full two weeks time something will happen down the line where it's like you know it's, it's kind of preparing you for a fall. I'm not saying this is going to happen this time but in recent history this has happened all too often. I mean even in the quotes this, this, this week from Charmley talking about the January transfer window to basically essentially saying that Newcastle could go in the market but we've got options there in position and I mean everyone here I think you're fair to say it's, it, Newcastle do need additions in January if they are going to guarantee Premier League survival Lee Shaw didn't categorically deny that, but you know he's, he's kind of already said that. Look, there's options coming back. Richie and the cells are going to come back. It's kind of the, the new signing line. Um, so, look, I think that you know again they're not really kind of addressing the issues that made people fall away in the first place. It is a good short-term measure. It is going to make things affordable for new fans. Um, at the end of the day, I think as well, business-wise. How many of those fans who get the free season ticket will then renew at the full price at the end of the year? And you know, it's short-term pain for long-term gain, I suppose. It's just a final point on that. Um, Oz from Tune for Change, who's a supporters group, um, he asks Mark that he pays. He says he pays five hundred twenty-nine pound per season for a season ticket. How does ten thousand free season tickets reward his loyalty? Oz, have you taken the half-season ticket? Wherever you haven't. How does it? Yeah. Well, how does it? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's the argument, isn't it? it, it, it the, the, the sort of loyalty uh, argument from, from Steve Bruce, I don't think necessarily washes. I think it's, you know, it's a good thing for, if, you, if, you've, if you've got one, I mean, every, the, the fact that 10,000 have been picked up suggests that it is seen as a reward by, by some of those season ticket holders. And I think it probably, you know, look, it's, it's a great thing to be able to have to say to your friend or, or, your, um, or, or your sibling or a family member or whatever, but... I think probably even the 10,000 fans who've, who've taken those season tickets would say, if you gave me that or a club that's bring, buy, bring, sorting out a new training ground, bringing in the best players, in their opinion, committed to excellence and, and you know, doing things the right way, they'd say, I'd rather have that than 10,000 free season tickets. And I think that is the message that look, the club, I think, it's a smart move and at least they're listening and at least you know because in the summer they didn't listen and we warned them this would happen i remember having having these conversations with the club at the time saying it was because people forget the summer wasn't just about rafa it was also about not communicating after rafa well what where are we they, they didn't say anything for a long time there was that absolute nonsense takeover stuff that rumbled on and rumbled on and rumbled on they could have they could have cut down you know there was so many different mixed messages and things and so it wasn't just, it was the summer where people felt like they were having the mickey taken out of them. So that's why they walked away. It wasn't just about Rafa leaving. I think that was a big part of it, but it wasn't just about that. So they're, they're now trying to rebuild those things. And look, they are making little things like 
know, the changes to the fans forum, all those kind of things. They are, they are talking again. They're giving more interviews. They're doing bits and bobs like that. They're obviously trying to get people back into the stadium. But I, it's treating the symptom and it's not treating the cause yet. And the jury's still out on them doing that. They're making the right noises. I would say that about them. At least they are moving in the right direction. I think Bruce is making better things. But they have, you know, when they say it's about cost, you know, there are, it was the same price last year and there were 50,000 people there. It's, they have to recognise the fact that there's deep discontent. And look, the final thing I'll say is it's not just the fact that they've lost 10,000 fans this season. They lost a lot of fans previous to that. So there's another, I would say, you know, even, even when they were getting 51,000 last season, I knew five to 10,000, well, I would estimate, but because I, I knew a lot of people who were saying, I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going, because they wouldn't go after the, releg the first relegation um, when the Keegan thing, when the second coming of Keegan all went sour. A lot of people stopped going then. So I think if you had the, an owner who was doing things the right way, a manager and a bit of ambition and all those things, you could sell 70,000 tickets at Newcastle United. You could sell 75, 80,000 tickets. I genuinely believe that because there's a massive untapped support of potential there. I really, really believe that. And they need to start thinking that way. Um, and, and, you know, this is a small baby step. It has to be a lot of wider stuff to start winning people around again. More to come. Well, that is it for the first half. So thank you very much. And we'll be back in the second half to discuss takeover transfers and what have you. So thank you very much. Go and get your drinks. Thank you.